Song of Blades and Heroes is a cult classic miniature agnostic fantasy skirmish rule set. I've been playing it for a couple of years now and I wanted to shine a wee light on it in more detail on this episode so I'm going to be talking to a pal of mine who had a shot of it for the very first time recently. Robert, how are we getting on today? Very well, thank you very much. I've been practising my dice rolling and I'm very excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, dice rolling, it's one of them. You, you don't encounter many people who say, I'm really good at rolling dice, do you? Like, yeah, I've never came across one of those folk. I, I just roll a lot of fives and sixes. Yeah, it's more like, oh, my dice are terrible because sometimes they don't give me the numbers I want and I hate them. Yeah. Are you a fan of the D6 or D20 or D12? Do you have a favourite dice? I think you have a few more options with the D20, you know, a few more uh, degrees of subtlety, whereas the D6, that's kind of like a child's die, isn't it? Because it comes with no- Monopoly and the likes. Yeah, but also easier to find if, you're, if you've just uh, got an emergency game on the go. It's, it's easier to obtain a handful of those. Oh, yeah, you go and raid Monopoly and Cluedo and the likes and say, yeah, I will put them back, I promise. So the, the the game we played recently, it was a D6-based game called uh, Song of Blades and Heroes, which I've talked about a lot on the podcast so far. Uh, I really like this game. It's a it's fantasy miniatures skirmish rules. And I think it's quite an old game. I think it came out initially, I'm going to get this wrong, maybe 2007 or that. It might have been a bit later. Um, probably should have done my research there. But I think it's went through a few iterations, but it's... The gist of it is it's 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 really simple to pick up, but it's still a lot of good fun to play. It doesn't doesn't get mundane quickly, does it? We had quite a good good game the other week. Yeah, that's right. It's like D and D for people who just want to do a wee bit of fighting on their lunch break or whatever. And um, for that, it's it's brilliant. So you mentioned D and D. You've been doing a bit of role play for a few years, haven't you? Uh, I did a lot as a teenager. It was either that or meet people. And um, but didn't really play for a long time until lockdown, which kind of, um, you know, gave me the opportunity to uh, to play again for the first time in decades. And I really thought all that sort of thing was behind me because society had moved on, but apparently it hasn't. And there are still little corners of the world where people tell stories and roll dice and have fun together, which is great. Were you getting together to do that, or was it an online thing? It started off online when lockdown was in its heyday. Uh, using a system called Roll20.net, which a lot of people might be familiar with. Um, But as things eased up a bit, we've started to play in person a bit more often, which I think is superior. But um, if we do go into lockdown again, there's always Roll20 to to use online again, and that works pretty well too. But you you can't beat the face-to-face aspect when possible. So you're doing like an ongoing narrative with your campaigns then, or is it just little games here and there? Yeah, no, me and the the group of people uh, I'm with, there's a couple of games on the go. Um, and yeah, there's like a, a module that the, the DM works from and and goes through it and maybe adds bits and pieces here. But there's one game I'm in where I've been in it since like last March and the character that I've got has gone from level one up to level seven. Uh, and it's really good because, you know, it, like role-playing games on, on your, your games consoles, you sort of grow with the character and develop them in different directions which is a really nice aspect which obviously isn't um something that we're doing in uh this game the skirmish game but at the same time there's a nice little bit of fun to be had there as well so you know horses for courses i guess yeah are you using miniatures for your your role play games yeah so what we've been doing is 
similar to the miniatures we've been using for for this game, Song of Blades and Heroes, we've got little miniatures. Like I had to go out and find a human male paladin that I thought looked like the character that I've got, and then you know we've all been painting our miniatures, and and that helps to realize the character as well in terms of who they are and what what they would do in different circumstances. And I, I think that's kind of really personalizes it as well, you know. So like when we were playing um the song of blades and heroes and i was looking at the miniatures and i couldn't help but think like oh look at this guy here i wonder what he's all about i wonder if he really wants to be here or if he's like looking forward to the end of the battle so we can go to the pub and that kind of thing so that's a nice little aspect yeah judging by the i think it was your chaos marauder you took a a chaos army i think (laughs) he wanted to go to the pub he he pretty much uh, stayed put for the whole game so did your troll yeah, well, it, it was the Marauder I was thinking of when, when I was saying that, but I didn't want to start naming names as such. But yeah, he was useless. But who knows what his backstory is, right? He probably didn't want to be there in the first place. And he's, you know, this isn't his fight. And he's getting too old for this. He's seen too many battles. Um, so that's why he deliberately made the dice come up with, like, you know, numbers that were too low for him to be activated and move. And who knows, maybe we can't blame him. Yeah, that's a. I suppose, like looking deeply into that. So in this game, like you've got, you've got really two stats that you're paying attention to. Um, Let me just go to the bestiary. Um, So you've got point stats, obviously, if you're if you're playing a points game. But you've got a quality score and a combat score. Those are like the two core things that you're paying attention to with your your characters. Um, So your quality. That's pretty much like the lower the quality score, the better, because in order to activate a character, you're going to have to roll one to three quality dice. Uh, So if I've got a quality of two, the only time I'm going to fail that is by rolling a one. Whereas your combat score, the other score that you're paying attention to, you know, it could be three, it could be four, it could be two. But this is essentially a number that we're adding to a D6 roll when a fight's taking place. So straight up for a beginner, that's a really good system because, like, you know, it's like if you're looking at, you know, like um, one of the sort of Warhammer Fantasy Battle rule sets or that, and it's just like stat line, stat line, stat line everywhere. So um, you could see why this game is really good for just, like, a beginner picking up and having a bit of fun with. Yeah, like, you know, it comes down to maths at the end of the day, really, doesn't it? Because, I mean, that's what most D&D is anyway when it comes to realising what's actually going to happen and deciding on the mechanics like if you've got a character that has the quality of five, so you've got to you've got to roll. No, let me get this right now. It's only been a week since we played, but if they've got a quality of five, you've got to roll five or above. Is that right? To to for yeah, a, so it's, yeah to succeed. Yeah, so like for D and D players, uh, you have to roll initiative each turn for each character, and but not to decide who goes first, but to decide if they go at all. So you've got to roll their number or higher, and if they if you don't succeed, then they set it out, which is quite interesting. Like the the troll quality five. So what's that? If five or a six, you've only got a one in thirty three percent chance of him activating every turn, and that's like quite low. But because he's quite a a toughie and he's got special abilities, once he does get going, then great. Kind of like I don't know George Best of his day, the footballer from the sixties. Like you know, he might not turn up every week, but when he does, whoosh yeah, he's good. Yeah, and like you were saying about the Marauder or, or any troop, you know, in real real life warfare, and this isn't designed to, to emulate real life in any way, but 
there are folk that don't want to be there. There are folk at varying levels of investment or courage. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not a case. Of, in some games, you're just you're moving all your troops up the, the field uh, and nobody's giving you any grief about it. You're not getting any pushback. But in this game, there are a couple of characters who, when you're trying to get everyone up there, uh, they're kind of thinking, I don't know about this. I'm, I might just uh, hang back here where it's a bit safer. Um, just how the quality activation system works. Like, you could roll between one to three dices, uh, or die, as it is. Proper term, I'll get flack for that. Uh, if you just roll the one, that's the lowest risk, because if you fail that roll, you just move on to your next uh, character that you want to try and activate. Or you could try and roll two two or three die uh, to give yourself potentially more activations. But if you, roll, uh, if you were to roll two failures and one success... You would get to perform that one action, but then you would have to pass play onto the opponent. And that happened to me quite a lot. I was playing an undead force, so I had a bit more uh, troops than you on the ground, but they were harder to activate. You know, you've got zombies and stuff like that. Uh, very good if you could actually get them into a fight. They've got good combat, but they're um, again like like your traditional zombie films are very stupid, very hard to maneuver. So a lot of them just ended up sort of dosing about at the back and. Uh, waited for you to come and uh, claim claim the objectives and claim the day. Yeah, and I must admit, my first time in playing it, I'm still getting to grips with the rules. I, I took very few risks in the opening rounds because, well, for that reason, and um, I took advantage of the fact that you were taking risks and it wasn't always coming off for you, I guess, cause so I could get my guys forward um, by rolling one die at a time and, you know, not risking losing the, the rest of the turn. Um so I, I probably gamed it a bit, even though it was meant to be just a bit of introductory fun. So semi-apologies for that, but I did win. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm only a little bit sorry. A little bit. The the movement as well, I think what, what they do good in this game, you've got three different length sticks rather than the traditional measuring tape that you see in a lot of games. Again, nothing wrong with the measuring tape, but I think it could be a wee bit intimidating to beginners as well because they're thinking, Christ, are we going down this intricacy, uh, getting measuring tapes and things like that out? So just having those sticks. Um, what are the... Just going to look here. If, short, medium and long. Or actual, you, yeah, or... so we've got short, medium and long. So yeah, short, short uh, 75 millimetre, mediums 120 and long 180. So you're generally moving everyone with the medium stick. You had a, a Chaos Dwarf. He was a bit, you know, little legs. He had to move with the short stick. And these sticks are also used for things like um, bowmen, archers and stuff like that as well to measure range. So very simple, just having those three sticks there. No need to be getting the tape measured out and consulting stats all the time uh, to measure things out. Yeah, and there's a certain amount of goodwill, I think, between the players when, like, I'll say, look, I think that will take me to there. Are you okay with that? And you're like, yeah, fine, fine. And then we move on and then we don't get overly analytical and not like we're at a Comic-Con where it's like for a big prize and we're making sure we're not taking an extra millimetre each or whatever. Yeah, call in the invigilator and <laughs> get an ind- independent verification. Yeah. Um, the The combat we talked about there, so... I like the combat system. Again, what ties into this is the complete lack of bookkeeping. You're not um, tracking wounds or anything like that. Again, nothing wrong with that. But if you just want a day where you've not got bits of paper everywhere and your pen and you're marking stuff down and then you forget and you get a bit lost. So this is really good in the way that 
I get into a fight with you, Robert. Well, first and foremost, if I'm going to try and fight you, it's not like a lot of games where I'm going to walk up, take a swing at you. You know, I might hit, I might miss, I might roll a wound. I'm actually going in there and you could kill me because you're going to be fighting back. So it's it's an active combat rather than a, a passive combat, if that makes sense. Like a joust almost, where we come together for one action and one blow and then one of us comes off better or worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we're, you know, we're going into combat together. We've both got a combat score. Mine could be one, yours could be five. That's obviously going to make you the heavy favourite. Um, I don't even know if it'd be possible for me to win that, but you know, we're, we're rolling a D6 and we're adding our combat score to that D6 roll. And it's as simple as that. So the, the person who comes out on top there with the, the cumulative score is the winner. And then you're kind of looking at a, a couple of things. So you're, you're looking at if you were to win that, if you were to win your roll on an even number of your D6, I think that is where you, I think that's where you tip them over. You basically knock them on their arse. Whereas if, if it's a odd number, you just push them back once. Yeah. So you push them back a space. So again, there's no wounds. And then we're looking at to actually kill people. We're looking at um, doubling or trebling their score. And that's where you're, you're going to kill people. The most common way I would say killing people is uh, knocking them on their arse and then, and then beating them uh, because you've got heavy modifiers in your favor when you're fighting somebody who's lying on the ground. And it's it's quite likely when you fight them that they'll, that will die. Yeah, or you get your pals to come in, and you know if you've got several of your allies all around one guy, then that also uh, applies a modifier in your favour. So I, I think there's a lot of tactics there where you think, okay, I've got three skeletons and they're kind of rubbish. Um, that one guy's pretty good, but maybe the three of them together ganging up will overcome him. Yeah, if I remember correctly, your opponent drops us drops a point with um, each uh, each opponent that they're in contact with in a combat. Yeah. So, you know, like you say, you're fighting three skeletons, you're going to be minus three to your roll. Um, either that or you, you know, you as the person with the skeletons are on a plus three. It's one or the other. Um, I, can't I don't remember. want to spend too much time with my nose in the book because it doesn't make for great audio, but the listener will get the gist of it. Sure. Um, and as is... As is so common in, in this style of game, the range combat works in pretty much exactly the same way, except obviously your opponent isn't getting that chance to hit back in that turn. You know, they might be an archer and they might take a shot at you in their turn, but you're not a uh, there's there's very little risk for an archer shooting at somebody. Um I would say that you know it's it's pretty hard to do any damage with, with the bow and arrow, especially against the undead. There was a modifier against those um the special rules talked about the fact that with a skeleton, you know, it could just nestle in the rib cage. Uh, zombies, you know, you're going to be doing well to take one of them out with an arrow. So um, that was the one of the few advantages of playing an undead warband. That's right. Yeah, I took a, a mounted archer, I think it was, towards the skeletons, and, and that's when I realised that I was going to have trouble. And I think I hit your guy a couple of times, but never managed to do much to him, unfortunately. But Ah, well, it held them up, if anything, from getting too close while my other guys were doing their thing. The magic as well, you know, it's not it's not a Frostgrave-style game where there's spells going off here and there and everywhere, but you, you do have magic users. You can take them. We had one each, you know. You had a, a Chaos Wizard. I had a Necromancer. Um, but the magic works just like ranged combat. Um, the only difference is you're declaring up front that you're going to try and do a spell because your quality roll 
could have um, certain outcomes, certain negative outcomes if you fail it. It could uh, just mean that your sorcerers ran out of magic for some reason. You can't do anything else for the, the game. Yeah. Um, and the only two spells really, a ranged attack, which could be like a fireball or that, it's up to your imagination. And the other magic attack you could do is just to root somebody to the spot. So I think it's called Transfix. Um, so I think you did it to one of my guys. You know, he was he was honing in on one of the little objectives, the little treasure boxes about to have a, a look in there. And your wizard stepped up and just rooted him to the spot. And that was him stuck there for a wee while. So yeah, um, not an overly magic game, but it's, it adds a nice wee bit of flavour. That's right. Yeah. I mean, they, they often say about D&D and other games like that, that really it's just storytelling and rolling dice and it doesn't matter if it's a warrior or a wizard or anything else it's still just numbers at the end of the game you know so uh but there's enough there's enough little bits and pieces in this game to make it interesting and to to make you have to think okay well this my my magic caster doesn't do a lot of damage but what he could be really effective in is is like you say rooting the one guy that i really want to stop immediately from running away with a chest so there's little things to think about like that as well and like the skeletons being kind of having an advent advantage against ranged weapons again there's something to think about there uh and you know that while, while the game is some might describe it as simplistic in in some senses there's still enough to make you think kind of like you know what they say about chess is it's easy to learn the moves but it takes a lifetime to to really understand what you can do with them yeah, like one of the the most overused phrases in tabletop gaming is is easy to learn, hard to master. But, yeah. Um, I, you know, I think I think a lot of games achieve that. I think this game certainly does. Um, when we start looking at some of the the available models and characters you could take, that's when you can get into the competitiveness because you could be looking at stuff and saying, okay, I could only take you know these three models, but they're going to be really powerful for for these reasons. So, um couple more things just to touch on there. First, there's uh, there's morale rules, like you'll find in a lot of skirmish games, a lot of war games, um, that are just based on, you know, a, a person's in a certain range of, he sees a gruesome kill, or, you know, he sees one of his comrades getting killed, he's going to have to take a quality test, he might run away. Um, you know, morale's pretty common in, in this style of game. And then we've got special rules as well. That's where you go through all the you know, I've got a certain type of character, they're this type of character, they've got this special rule, and it's usually a positive thing. You know, they've usually got some sort of positive modifier, but it could sometimes be negative. I was saying to you on the day, Robert, one of my favourites was the, the greedy uh, special rule. Oh, yeah. So you could imagine this for, like, you know, a sneaky little goblin or, or skaven-type character, and that's that, you know, he, he kills a model, he's got to take a quality test every time he kills a, a foe in a hand-to-hand combat and if the test fails he's kind of stuck be- beside the body for the next turn because um he's just sitting looting it or it says he might even be depending on the type of character feasting on it so um just little good fluffy wee things like that that add a bit of um flavor and imagination to the to the thing yeah i mean that's basically like any board game you know for for kids even where oh i've picked up a card and it says miss one turn which is essentially what's happening here with the goblin, but it gives you that, like you say, flavor, the kind of storytelling aspect that you could really picture the goblin rifling through the the, the corpse's pockets and going for the jewelry and doing a little hee 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 to himself, um, and it and it really gives you that kind of 
theatre of the mind thing of imagining what's happening on the battlefield. And I, I think that really does make all the difference. This, this might be a semi-simplistic game compared to a, a long campaign in D&D, but that doesn't mean your imagination can't, you know, um, be fired up a little bit with what's going on on the on the board. So I think the the makers of the game have done well with that. Yeah, and and talking like harking back to your your um, RPG stuff, there there are um, as we get later on in the book that we've got here, there are campaign rules which I really like. You know, we've got scenarios because again, you know, it's it's fine to just um, line up two forces and have at it and see who's you know who comes out on top of the fight, but. It's it's good to have. Like we played one where there was some treasure boxes, I think three three boxes. So you're going up to the first one, and on a roll of a one to three, there's nothing in it. On a roll of a four to six, you've found the treasure, if you like, um, and then you're going to try and carry that back off the the table at your side. Um, if you were, to, you know, if the first two boxes didn't have anything in them, it was definitely going to be in that third box. So a little scenario like that, you know, we've got. Um, some other ones that I'm just looking at. We've got ones like Ambush. Um, what else have we got here? Sorry, I'm just... Uh, aye. So we've got Place of Power. We've got On Difficult Ground, Treasure Hunt, Quest for a Magic Item. So there's a few things there. Um, and you can especially use that. Like we've got the, the campaign rules where you can upgrade your equipment and stuff like that or upgrade your uh, special rules. Maybe there's not so much equipment rules in this game. Uh, and then... The, the thing I like about campaign rules is always the the role tables that you have for when a character gets taken out in a game. So after the game, you're going to find out, did they die? Have they just got a horrific injury? Um, have they maybe come out with some weird mutation where they're actually, they've emerged from it more powerful? So there's Ooh. all scope for that um, if you're doing a bit of long-term storytelling. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I think I wonder if there's a scenario where... Like, let's say I've got kind of like a half-broken castle and I'm trying to defend it until my forces arrive next week or whatever, and then your forces are coming to attack. So I'm not advancing towards you. I'm sort of holding back and trying to hold the line a little bit. Because that, that could make for interesting tactics where maybe my archers are trying to knock one or two of your guys back and then pounce on one of them who's further ahead and um, that sort of thing. Kind of a Helm's Deep, Lord of the Rings type thing. Our question of the month for May 2024 is what rules have you created or adapted to improve your favourite gaming system? This might be a homebrew rule or something you've ported over from another game. The point is you tried it, it worked well and you kept on using it. Head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail to submit your answer. That's bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. And now back to the show. Yeah, and I like that because again, you know, some war gamers, there's no, there's no wrong way to play. But some, some people like this idea of we've got these very well matched, fair forces with equal points totals. You know, it's almost game of chess style. Let's see who can come out on top. Yeah, but I quite like the scenario based, like you're saying. Let's take these three dwarfs and this um, human archer and hold out against these. Um, 50 zombies you know we're going to die but let's see how many of them we could take out first uh, yeah. let's see how many turns we could stand out for because again that could be part of a scenario where it is a uh, you know these guys are heroes they're martyrs because um they're buying time for somebody else to escape or whatever so 
Yeah, uh, it's not always about a, a, a sort of fair game of football, if you like. No, let's just see what happens, and you know, it's not always about who wins or loses, right? Um, and and you know, and a lot of the the fantasy books they often say things like, "Oh, a thousand men in a in a fortified fortified castle could defend it against ten thousand attackers, ten to one." Um, and it's all about the ground that you're stood on. So maybe we could see if that plays out in a kind of tabletop mathematical kind of scenario as well and just see how it goes. Uh, th- that could be a lot of fun as well. And, you know, you don't have to worry about necessarily winning or, or not because the fun is in taking part. <laughs> yeah, and you get an opponent who takes it too seriously and they're saying, I'm just going to starve them out seeing as they're in here. So... um four hours later he's just not done anything he's just surrounded you and yeah went for a coffee right okay well same time next week or we could do something else just looking at uh, the two forces i've still got the wee um army lists it's not really armies it's war bands but you you played chaos so you had a marauder a goblin warrior a chaos dwarf a beastman a barbarian archer a troll a goblin assassin a chaos sorcerer and a mounted chaos warrior, so very battle master esque or hero quest esque list where the the goblins and the chaos all mucked in together. Um, on the undead side for me, necromancer, ghost, three skeleton warriors, two skeleton archers, and six zombies. The zombies were worse than useless. They had a a quality five to activate. They did have a combat score of four. So if I was on a really good day, which is never going to happen, let's face it, if I was able to get them into some fights, then they would do a bit of damage, but it's it's not going to be easy to manage that. Yeah, and with a quality of five, so five out of six, 33% chance of moving, it was going to take you forever to get them all, as a group even, up to the other side of the the board. So that, that was a difficult one. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, don't think I really fought your zombies, to be honest, or maybe, maybe your skeletons. Nah, they never got near you, yeah. Um, I liked uh, you had the goblin assassin, so he had a special rule. Uh, he had a couple of special rules. He had assassin and stealth. Stealth was a funny one. He could he could be pressed against a castle wall or house or something. And even if you're standing like right across from him, you just can't see him apparently. So you can't take a pop at him or that uh, with ranged weapons or magic. But the assassin one, from what I remember, you just had to win a combat by a single point, which would usually mean you've you've uh, pushed somebody away. Yeah. Um, and no more than that but this character this special rule you're basically killing them with that that uh, one point win you're, you're assuming he's got maybe a poison dagger or something like that yeah he knows where to stab he's not just hacking and slashing he's got the the dagger and the jugular I, I must admit once i got a hang of the rules and i was looking at his abilities i thought this guy he's the key he's kind of overpowered compared to a lot of the other characters um so that's why I was like, right, he's going for the chest. Because, um, you know, like you touched on it before, in order to actually kill someone, you have to double their score once you've both added and subtracted your bits and pieces. So I roll a die and it comes out that my total is eight and yours is four and only because it's double would I win. But this guy, as you say, you roll a four, I roll a five and you're gone. That's, that's you know, that's brutal. So he, yeah, he was and- by far my favourite. Yeah, and to balance him, obviously, he's, he's, he's um, well, quality three is pretty good, to be honest, um, but he's combat two, uh, so you're still you're still wanting a good role in combat to, to try and come out on top. Um, it's not like he's adding a four to that or anything, so um, yeah. otherwise he'd just be pretty much invincible, wouldn't he? 
I guess you want someone else to be going up to the enemy and possibly knocking him over. Um, so the guy's on the ground, he's prone, which is like a minus one. Then you, your assassin comes up, your your pal who's knocked him over is next to him, so that's another minus one. So the assassin's quality, uh, combat two is actually combat four equivalent. So again, that's the kind of tactics you're thinking, right? Get the other guy to do the hard work and in helping you with the bonuses and then the sneaky little assassin comes in out of the shadows and it's all over i was just i was having a look at the profiles at the back of the sort of things you could take so i think the game we played it was roughly would have been like 350 points or something like that and as far as i could see the best the best thing you could take in the game in this core rules book is the ancient dragon who sets you back 268 points, a quality of two and a combat of six. So, I mean, you're you're going to be um, rampaging through forces with that, aren't you? Like, you would need to roll a one to to not be able to take a turn, for starters. And then when you're going into combat with score of six, and he's got a whole raft of special rules as well. Um, he's a magic user, long move, shooter, terror, tough, flying, huge. You, you could take that on its own, you know, and, and if you had the room just to get maybe a human on a horse or something like that, just for that extra bit of, you know, if you've got a claim and objective, send the dragon in, cause absolute chaos and just have this guy um, whistling on the back of his horse, trotting along with whatever it was he was sent to pick up. I'm pretty sure if either of us had just the dragon and the other person just had their normal army or uh, warband, then the dragon would win, especially we, you know, breathing from afar. Like, I'm going to breathe on you, then I'm going to move over here, and what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Yeah. And there's the little marauder guy with his little hand axe going, oh, I'll, I'll get you if I can get going, if I roll high enough, but not this turn. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I think it would only be fair if you both had a dragon each, but even that would be ridiculously messy. You just have the two dragons left at the end. Yeah, that wouldn't even be fun, eh? Just two of them going at it and not managing anything. I don't even have I don't have a dragon miniature. Um but it's a good reason to maybe pick one up just to, to try that. It'd have to be the what was the, the book in the film? Was it Gulliver, where he gets overwhelmed by all the tiny wee guys? Oh it'd yeah. have to be kinda like that. You've just got people surrounding him, trying to sort of weigh him down, pin him down. Like ants on a spider. Yeah, yeah. Um you get other dragons too, and they're pretty good, like Adult Dragon, Small Dragon, uh, Hydra. There's a lot of cool, interesting profiles here, stuff that you you don't um, see in a lot of games. We've got, like, Mermen, we've got Hyena Men, uh, Blobs, Molds, and Fungi. You could take a Fungus Man for 13 points. Quality okay. 5, Combat 2, Special Rules, Poison. Um got trolls which we obviously we played with one of them yeah rat men cat folk halflings so we're going a bit talking there bugbears um bugbears are kind of are they um they're kind of animalish creatures aren't they are they the goblinoid yeah they're uh I, they are i've fought a couple in D and i've suddenly gone blank on what a bugbear looks like um but yeah i believe kind of like um yeah, like bear men type thing. I'm, I'm probably making a fool of myself by saying that. Uh, I'm actually going to Google it now and just see what a bugbear looks like. Yeah, kind of like, well, it's got pointy ears and it's big and tall and it's kind of hairy. So um, I'm sure I've seen them living around here, actually. Um, yeah, your, your classic fantasy type thing. Imagine an orc, but 
slightly hairier. A hair orc. Yeah. Um, the undead force here, Vampire Lord, looks pretty good. You know what? I had a I had a great vampire miniature from the old way, Warhammer range. Oh yeah. And I sold it. I, f- I found all my miniatures and you know these undead ones, and I sold them all in a batch. And I regret selling that vampire because I wish I'd stripped that and painted it up again. <laughs> uh, especially because I'm I'm actually reading. I think I told you this before, Robert. I'm reading Bram Stoker's Dracula, the original vampire novel. I'm reading that at the moment. It was yeah. written about 1897. Um, Dracula not in it that often, um, I'll be honest with you. He's, he's not really... He's never a first-person character. It's all just, you know, he pops up here at the start and we, we go quite a long way with it, encounter now and again, and you get a bit of him at the end. But um, It's all about the journey. Almost, yeah, you could, you could almost take the other perspective of this book is about like four guys in Britain trying to get this Romanian immigrant out the country, you know, <laughs> if you want to flip it on its head because that's essentially what's happening. But they have their reasons. I mean, he's, he's murdered one of their partners already. So, um, you know, we have to sympathize there. But yeah, the, the guys are off to Transylvania now because he's fled back there. So hoping that it ends on a positive note for the goodies. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Uh, it's not one I've actually read, to be honest, and it's one of those like, yeah, I'll definitely, I should read it because it's the classic one. But yeah, uh. it's been a slog in places. Old old books can be flowery. Um, yeah. As somebody who's read a lot of Lovecraft, I mean, he came a bit later than that. He was what nineteen twenties, I think. Um, but you know, you, you you can find yourself rolling your eyes sometimes with the, the older stuff just because it's. You know, so much has been done after that that's been influenced by it. So yeah, they, I did hear someone once say that they don't like Shakespeare's stuff because it's all so full of cliches. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, it is now. Um, but yeah, like it, I'd imagine there'll be bits in Dracula where the guy, the guy, I mean, does have a name, but um, it was yeah, they'll be describing six pages worth of a horseless carriage. Because yeah, you know, in 1897, yeah. not everyone's been in one, but you and I or are like six, six films with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, let's just move this along. And and a lot of people say that about Tolkien that he describes things to the absolute nth degree. Uh, and some people love that. I remember a friend of mine saying, "Oh, it was so rich, so rich in detail, the history, the lore, and all that." And other people going, "When did he get somewhere and do something?" When Come somebody when he stabs somebody, yeah, let's have a Barney. Come on, let's go, let's do it, let's fight some orcs. And oh no, no, we're talking about the trees and the Council of Trees again. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, so just swinging back to to Song of Blades and Heroes, going to get another game of this in soon. I'm assuming. So you're going to you're going to put your own wee warband together this time. Take me by surprise. Uh yeah, it's all good guy characters I've got though. I've got a polar bear, a dire wolf. Uh, a paladin, an elven druid, and one more I've forgotten. But yeah. Polar bear is a funny one. Is that just a miniature you picked up along the way at some point? Yeah, well, it's because my druid turns into a polar bear in order to, to fight things. He's basically a big, tough polar bear. And that's like, for his level, that's the strongest creature or the most handy creature you can turn into because got lots of hit points and stand up front and take all the damage. Um, Giant bear, 40 points, quality three, combat four, special rules, animal and big. I wonder what go. the animal special rule is. 
<laughs> you have to pick up his shit in a bag or you get in trouble off the council. Yeah, well, that's a good uh, one. Oh, it says um, animal models do not receive experience points in campaigns. Animals cannot use magic items. Animals automatically route when the last non-animal model in their warband is killed. Oh, well. Well, that's kind of similar because once you turn into a, a bear, you can't then, as a druid, cast spells in D&D, but you can maintain one in your head if you cast it beforehand. So kind of similar. And and same with large, like you have like normal sizes and large and monstrous and all that stuff. And when I turn into a bear, I then take up four squares as a polar bear. So um, so that's kind of similar that way as well. This, are your miniatures, are they, are they plastic or metal? Uh, plast- resin, kind of plastic resin. Yeah, aye. I think I have, I've got the, the the stuff we like. It was all my stuff we played with, just to give you an introduction to the game. Uh, but the the plastic ones, um, they were mainly plastic, and you, you, I feel much safer playing with them. But they weren't my best models. Um, I've got a lot better than that. You know, it's a lot better painted stuff that I'd like to take. But playing with metal, I just I'm scared of it because you just have to like rub it the wrong way and it chips. Even if you put a good coat of varnish on them after you've painted them, they're, they're very easily chipped. So um, yeah, don't know if I'd spend the whole game just being like, oh no, like, is he, is he fell over or has <laughs> the dice hit him? Yeah, I mean, that is possible. The good thing about these models I've got is like they bend a little bit. They can, they've got a bit of give in them. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, I try to be careful when I'm putting them in the box, especially my druid, for some reason he holds his staff. So it's kind of, pointing forwards you know rather than just holding it up like to attention so i'm, mm-hmm. I'm always putting him on his side making sure his staff doesn't bend too much but it, it has a bit of give to it yes yeah, so some of the models that i was using they were from a um, antics dungeon saga game which is a a kind of modern version of hero quest which is quite topical at the moment time mm. of recording because we were just talking about that robert that they've brought a, a modern day version of that out yeah um, so uh, that was a game you played as a as a young man, wasn't it? It was eleven or twelve years old. It was on TV and the adverts all the time, and it looked like the absolute best thing ever. And uh, I loved it. Yeah, played it for a good few years, probably well into high school, secretly. Um, but you know, I have no such social fears anymore about what people think, and I'm ready to play again um, once I've saved up enough money to buy it. Yeah, well, good news on that front. Like, I've got Dungeon Saga, which is, um, well, firstly, I think it was a lot cheaper than what they're going to be taking for this new copy of Hero Quest. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's a bit more modern as well. Um, I think, as far as I know, I don't know, I don't know a huge amount about it. But Hero Quest have apparently kept some of their very old school rules. Of, like the movement is a d six, so you know you could just be moving a square per turn if you roll badly. I think that's a bit dated, to be honest. I don't know. I know yeah. almost nothing about games design, but um, that seems a bit a bit dated. That sort of mechanic. So, um, well, there's yeah, no, I mean, Dungeon... not a lot of storyline reason for it, really, is it? It's like, oh, yeah. my sorcerer decides he he hasn't got the same energy as he had last turn when he rolled a six. Yeah, it's too random, isn't it? Without any yeah. relevance to the story or anything like that. Um, but Dungeon Saga, I've, I've um, had a couple of playthroughs with my wife last winter. We managed a couple of those. Um, and it's a good good game, really good, solid B game. Um, so we'll need to get a game of that sorted out as well. Um, Excellent. Because it, it, it follows the same the same ethos of being very easy to pick up, um, but quite challenging. And also you're not 
you're not going to need um, four or five hours one night to play it. You know, you're going to bash through it a bit quicker than that. So, yeah, there's yeah. there's something about that aesthetic of the dungeon tiles and the the doors and the furniture and that as well, isn't there? Yeah, ah, you can let your imagination go a little bit again. Um, and I'm glad to hear that it's a bit more affordable for the what's your dungeon quest? Did you call it? Yeah, dungeon saga, dungeon, dungeon saga. saga. I, yeah, quest and dungeon saga mixed up because there will be a dungeon quest um, almost certainly yeah um but it was interesting that the new hero quest was coming in at a hundred odd dollars which i think i worked out to be about 93 pounds which mm-hmm. seems a lot for a board game i mean it's better be a pretty good board game right yeah, well, that's the, like games, you know, like the, the argument with computer games, and it's a valid one. Like when you see a maybe a an Xbox game for sixty quid or whatever they go for now, and you think, well, if that's Skyrim and I play that for two thousand hours, that's a very good deal. Um, right. So if you were buying Hero Quest for ninety quid and you genuinely did play it every single weekend for a year, then yeah, you're getting great value. But I just doubt that. You know, I think if if you're the type of person who's buying this, you're either buying it purely for the nostalgia and you might not play it, you might not even play it, or you're the type of person who's just got so many games and you want to add this to your collection and you might play it twice or something and then it's a £45 a turn sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I remember, you know, in the arcades, the, you know, video game arcades and we'd put pound after pound in the machines and then come away and that was it and we didn't even own anything. You basically rented a couple of minutes worth of fun. Um, and if you compare that to a game that you might buy for forty pounds or something, and you play the absolute legs off it for a couple of years, then yeah, you you've got to think about the the long term, of course. But like a like you say, the Hero Quest obviously going for the nostalgia value. Um, I, I do wonder if there aren't already games out there that would um, satisfy what else you would get out of it beyond the nostalgia. So I do think that's a big price to ask. Uh, especially when there's so many other games out there. I mean, like I was playing, I got to play a, a board game for the first time called Scythe. And um, right. it, it's it's a board game. It's not like a, a, a miniature wargaming thing, but um, it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. And I looked it up thinking, I want to get that. It must be, what, 10, 15, 20 pounds. And it was 40 odd quid. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that's a lot of money. Um, for a board game but it's because i haven't bought a board game in so long that inflation has gone up since the 90s you know yeah um, I... but yeah if we did play it several hours a time several times a year that alone would be worth it compared to you go to the cinema and pay 15 pounds to watch a film in 90 minutes and it's done yeah yeah you could easily lose 40 quid in a pub uh, no problem at all in a couple of hours, as we often have. Uh, yes, yes, and um, I'm willing to do again. Funnily enough, yeah, we'll take Dungeon Saga. We'll we'll find the roughest pub we can in the area, and we'll get Dungeon Saga set up, and we'll annoy somebody just by the sound of constantly rolling dice, um, and funny accents, and then we'll get we'll see we'll see what injuries we could obtain yeah. on the uh, on the campaign roll uh, chart. At the I'll, end. I'll wear my um, Star Trek Pink Floyd mashup t-shirt because I really like that t-shirt and it'll help me make friends. I've rolled uh, one which um, on the chart here it says uh, broken pint tumbler up arse. Uh, so I have to miss the next game whilst the doctor pulls it out and I explain the story to him. You know, th- this isn't what it looks like, doctor. Yeah, missed several turns because you had to walk home instead of getting the taxi because you didn't want to sit <laughs> down. 
Good stuff. So I will pencil that game in soon. Um, and it's been good to just chat about the game as well. I, I really like it. I hope, um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a very famous game and this isn't a very famous podcast. But, you know, if a couple of people hear of it for the first time and want to check it out, then I'll be delighted with that. Yeah, um, definitely. And nobody should be put off by it being simplistic in any way because, you know, the like I said before, horses for courses. And even D&D itself became quite complicated with its rules. You had all sorts of flanking rules and uh, cover rules that don't exist. Well, they they took out of it and made it a bit simpler. Like version 3.5 had a lot more rules, I think. I haven't actually played that version myself, but I play version 5, the more modern one. And that can be semi-simplistic where they say, oh, we, you know, we don't worry about that sort of thing, which way you're facing or flanking is just to sort of make it a bit more playable and make the game uh, run a bit more smoothly. And and they do that in sport as well. You know, they make se- sort of circumstances where they allow the play to keep going, like play advantage, just because you want the flow of the game to keep going. So uh, if you do enjoy anything at all about the kind of mechanics and the, the strategy involved in combat, which surely most people do if they do any kind of role-playing, then I think this is a, a great little pick-me-up and um, something to fill a, bit, a little bit of time. I mean, video game players as well, they'll say the same thing, that they like your long-term games where you have to spend six hours doing this, that, and the other because you're building towards something. But once in a while, it's great to pick up a game and, let's say, a golf game and just play one round of golf, put it back down again and go back to your life. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast so far, then a wee rating and review on your listening app of choice would be massively appreciated. And if you want to get in touch with the show for any reason at all, you could do so over at bedroombattlefields.com slash contact.